We continue our series on the I Am statements of Jesus that are found in the Gospel of John. And today's reading is John chapter 11, verses 1 through 6 and 17 through 27. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and Martha and her, Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two more days longer in the place where he was. When he arrived, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and met him, while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, coming into the world. This is the good news of Jesus. Thanks be to God. I am the resurrection and the life, says Jesus. As with the other I am statements that we've looked at, this one, this statement, occurs in close proximity to a miracle, a miracle performed by Jesus. And the miracle in today's story is, of course, the raising of Lazarus, the resurrection of Lazarus. This incident between Jesus and Mary and Martha and Lazarus is the only one of its kind. It's only recorded in the book of John. And as with all the other physical miracles and the I am sayings, this spectacular moment points us beyond the event and asks us to seek a deeper meaning. Because on the surface of the whole thing, the resurrection seems like a mere demonstration of power. Or perhaps just Jesus being able to revive someone who, for all the scientific minds of the day, they thought was dead. There's a lot that could have been going on if there weren't some deeper meaning involved, if there wasn't something deeper going on. The casual observer could justify what they saw in a number of different ways, but Jesus, by connecting this miracle, this 
this divine action with the I am statements, Jesus invites us to look a little more. And even the writer of John records for us and hints to us that there is more going on here. John goes out of his way to let us know, the readers, that Lazarus has been dead in the grave for four days. That is a significant number. Because someone had to be dead in the grave for three days to be officially declared dead. I guess there had been instances in the past where where somebody has become sick or they have succumbed to some illness, and for all uh, appearances, they are dead. Maybe they feel for pulse and they feel none. They look for breathing, they see none. They mourn, they carry their loved one into a tomb, and they seal it up, and that's that. And, And there in the coolness of the tomb, that person revives and tries to get out or doesn't get out, I don't know. But there was a waiting period. There was a very specific waiting period, three days, to declare somebody officially dead. And John tells us that not only had Lazarus cleared that hurdle, but even so they added on an extra day. He'd been in the tomb four days. I left it out of the reading, but some of some of the story also tells when Jesus says to open the grave that they say, hey, well, wait a minute. It kind of stinks. I don't think we want to do that. Lazarus has not swooned. Lazarus has not been under the influence of whatever hallucinogens they might have in that day. Lazarus is not just succumbed to some illness that, that while it appears that he's dead, he's not. This is not smoke and mirrors. John is letting us know that this guy is dead. D-E-A-D, dead. There's nothing left. There's no life. Now, the Christian idea of resurrection is very different than the Greek idea of resurrection and the Jewish idea of resurrection. Both of these were dominant cultures when Jesus was growing up and even to the day of his adulthood. The Greeks thought as the body, the physical body, as a hindrance to true life. They believed in a body and a soul and a mind, and these three were were together but not the same. And at some day, at some point, the body which is corruptible, the body which is imperfect, would release the soul, the spirit, which is beautiful and perfect. It has perfect knowledge. It has all the, the wonderful Greek attributes of perfection, and the, and the soul would be freed from the body, leave the body behind. There's actually a Christian heresy in the early church which believed that's what happened to Jesus, that the man Jesus was possessed by the divine Christ for a period of time, so that the man Jesus could perform these miracles and have this great knowledge and do all these wonderful things. But when Jesus then was going to go to the cross and suffer death, the divine Christ, that spirit part, went away from the physical Jesus and left the physical man Jesus on the cross. Well, of course, we reject that. We don't believe that we have a, that we are, that we have a mind or we have a body or we have a soul. We believe we are a mind. We are a body. We are a soul. These things are connected together. 
The Jewish people also had their ideas of resurrection, that the body at the end would be raised at the end time, but there would be no transformation. There would be nothing different. Martha says this herself, I believe in the resurrection at the last day. At its simplest, that resurrection was a return to life as it should be, as it originally was. But it's nothing like what you and I know of resurrection. Jesus, who was a product of a life raised with both the Jewish and the Greco-Roman influences, proclaims a resurrection that is much different. His resurrection from the dead, what he proclaims, is genuine eternal life in relationship to God. Genuine eternal life in relationship to God. And that new life, that new relationship, that that new uh, existence for creation is so closely tied and embodied in Jesus that that new life can only be found in the I am. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus draws his listeners back to those days of Moses. When they hear Jesus say, I am the resurrection of the life, they're drawn back to the burning bush where the burning bush says, I am who I am. Jesus is identifying himself with God, not as an agent of God, not as a prophet of God, not a messenger, not one who has who has been asked by God to do a special task. No, Jesus identifies himself as God. And that is why Jesus can say, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the new eternal life with God. It is me. Jesus doesn't say he will bring about the resurrection. Jesus doesn't say that he will cause the resurrection. He doesn't say that he will revive or reanimate the dead, something akin to those monster movies I used to watch as a child. And Jesus doesn't say that he will show us some secret way that we ourselves can go off and achieve resurrection and life. He says simply, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus says that he has the power lodged in his own being, the power, the same power that created light in the darkness, the same power that brought order to chaos, the same power that created everything out of nothing. That same power exists in, with, and under Jesus Christ. Jesus only utters... A few simple words, Lazarus, come out. And the man who was dead came out. Now, I kind of think that that whole business of calling Lazarus out was for the benefit of the onlookers, so they they weren't scared to death. They were kind of ready for it, or at least in anticipation from it. I don't think Jesus needed to say anything. Jesus didn't need to do anything. Jesus didn't need to mix some herbs or do some incantation or dance around. By the simple thought, life is restored within Lazarus. 
He's not reanimated. He's not healed. He is resurrected. Life enters where there was no life. Light enters where there was no light. Order comes where there is no order. When Jesus stills the waters, he brings calmness where there is only chaos. And Jesus, who is the resurrection, delivers life in the midst of no life. Jesus does not tell us. And many leaders of many religions have said that if we follow them, they will show us enlightenment, eternal consciousness, peaceful spirits, the way to do something or to be someone. They will show us how to achieve what we so deeply desire in our lives and in our souls and in our very bones. Through study, through discipleship to them, through all these different things, they will show us the secrets to living life. Jesus says none of that. Jesus never says, I'm going to show you the way. Jesus says, I am the way. I think the biggest hang-up that we have with this idea of resurrection is because that idea is an idea that we appreciate as something that's going to happen a long time from now. Something that will serve as some sort of reward for a life well-lived. That resurrection has something to do with my future, but it certainly doesn't have anything to do with my present. Right now, today, at 631. The resurrection doesn't mean much to me because it hasn't happened yet. But in truth, it has. In truth, for us, resurrection is not something that's going to happen a long time from now. Resurrection is something that has already happened. And we, like people walking in a dark room who have had the lights turn on, we see things differently than others do because of resurrection. We can know its importance, we can accept its reality, but sometimes we find a hard time just to ponder and sit with it. Think on this for a moment. In every encounter Jesus has with people in Scripture, what does he offer them? Does he offer them riches? No. Does he offer them political or financial security? No. Does he offer them good-paying jobs or, or uh, generous unemployment benefits? No. Does Jesus kick one Roman out of the promised land, Israel? No. The Roman Empire will exist long after Jesus is just a memory in the lives of his disciples. Jesus offers none of these because Jesus is not about these things. And what Jesus offers is so much more than just money or power or prestige or position or the reversal of, of, uh, the reversal of fortunes in our lives. From the woman who was caught in an act of prosecution 
to the lepers who came to Jesus from, for healing, to the blind and the socially and politically outcast of his day, from Nicodemus to the tax collectors. What Jesus offers is resurrection. He offers them a new life. And I think we can miss a huge chunk of the Christian experience if we look at resurrection as something that's going to happen a long time from now, after we die, as a reward for good behavior or good thought or showing up to enough church services or giving enough in the offerings that God will reward us with some heavenly place, a cloud of our own, a halo and a harp. Because resurrection is not these things. Resurrection is here and now. And when Jesus said that he was the resurrection and the life, he wasn't just referring to the rewards one gets for hitching their wagon to the messianic gravy train. What Jesus meant is he brings new life with him to everyone right here and right now. Jesus offers you and me through his life, death, and resurrection access to the same divine power which exists within him. That power is Jesus. Just like Jesus is God, Jesus is the resurrection, Jesus is the life, the divine power of God is Jesus. But before you start thinking you can run out there and walk on water or feed 5,000 or raise the dead or anything like that, the access to Jesus' power for you and for me is much different. Again, resurrection is not about a reward. Resurrection is about experiencing a new life in that divine power of Jesus. It's not about getting abundance of things that we feel entitled to. It's not about experiencing it as a political topic, and it will not by itself right every wrong, protect the innocent, or solve social injustice. What that power does, however, is make you and me a new creation to make us resurrected disciples who are no longer subject to our old ways of self-interest, of sin, and of death. That means that you and I are changed, and we look at the world and those around it with changed eyes and changed spirits. And since we are resurrected, and since we are new, and since we no longer have to worry about ourselves... We are freed to direct all of that energy, all of that mental energy, that, that psychological energy, that emotional energy that we once focused on ourselves and what's good for me and what helps me and what solves my problems and what makes me feel like me and God are on the same side. We can take all of that stuff since we've already received resurrection and we can redirect it out there in the world amongst those whom we might call the least and the lost, the spiritually dead and dying in our midst. And we can share what we have with them. 
We can touch them with resurrected hands. And the same power that Jesus possesses, we will transfer to them. That new life, new creation, opening their eyes. As it happened to to Paul, scales falling off his eyes. My friends, we are living eternal life right now. We are in the kingdom of God. We are in the kingdom of heaven. And our job, our mission, our task, our, our apostolate, our, our, our commission from God is to share that new life with other people who are still fighting just to feel like they're making any headway at all. And again, we are not going to right every wrong. We are not going to solve every financial problem. We are not going to feed every hungry mouth. We can't. But what we can do is we can start in our own community, our own, on our own street, in our neighborhood, one by one lifting the burden off of our friends, our family, our neighbors, even those folks we don't really like. And introducing them to the same Jesus Christ to whom we know. I'll end with this story. I had an occasion to have a conversation with a buddy of mine. And the conversation was related to the recent death of his brother who had had a heart issue. And I learned after we talked a little bit that heart issues had run in this person's family. And he kind of was getting to that age where People weren't making it past, and he was really feeling nervous. His concern was really not about going to a doctor and getting checked out, which I said, that might be a good thing to do, or, or you know, maybe you shouldn't smoke so much, which may be a good thing to do. His concern was, how, how do I know I'm okay with God? You know, it could, it, it, with his brother, it happened so quickly. And we know many people that... One minute they're doing fine, and the next minute they're gone. How do I know I'm right with God? Now, I must admit, as he was talking to me, I began to smile a little bit. I became conscious of the smile, not because I was making light of what he was saying, but because this is the part of what us pastors do that we really love. Dispelling the notion among people that there's something we have to do There's something that's our responsibility alone so that we can get right with God. What a burden that is on the lives of so many. They carry around on their backs just like uh, those guys in Scrooge carry those chains around their body, on their eternal bodies. How do I get right with God so I don't go downstairs? And how do I know I'm right? Each and every day, how do I know that I'm still okay? Did I pray well enough? Did I pray good enough? Did I pray the right prayer? Was my heart in the right place? Did I look at somebody and go, oops? Did I look at someone else and go, hmm, oops? How do I know day in and day out that if I were to meet my maker tonight that I would be okay? I would be in the club. And I thought to myself, wow, what a burden. 
trying to get right with God, trying to pray the right prayers in a certain way, trying to do the right, num- the right things to be rewarded with eternal life. And man, I could talk for hours on this. I bet Pastor Rich could too. But I got the pleasure of telling this man about God's all-encompassing love and grace and the gift of resurrection that he didn't have to earn, but was already given to him. He already had it. He already had it with him. It was already part of who he was. He already received it and possesses it. And so I got to tell him that he need not worry about being right with God. He's good. He's taken care of. And that was done by the one who says, I am the resurrection. He's not good with God because I say so. He's not good with God because comes to our church and puts money in the plate or, or serves on a team or picks weeds around the campus or does anything else. He's good because the one who said, I am the resurrection, says he's good. Now, I said, the story didn't end there, though. Because now you get to be freed from all that, and you get to go out and share it with those who are still carrying that burden. And just like you were freed of that fear and that doubt and that stress and that torment of wondering, am I okay with God? Now you get to go and you get to take the chains off somebody else. And maybe they'll take the chains off somebody else. And maybe they'll take the chains off somebody else. And before you know it, we'll have a, resol- we'll have a revolution of people trying to outdo each other by doing good by serving each other, by caring for each other, by loving each other, instead of all the other stuff that we deal with on a daily basis. And all of this is because Jesus declares that he is the resurrection and the life. And so to answer the question, are we okay with God? The answer is a resounding yes. Or to be more culturally specific, Yashur Yabecha. Amen.